Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're talking about indexed universal life insurance. And while it might seem very attractive, there's a lot of risks under the surface. We're going to uncover those and unpack them today for you in this show. We're your hosts, Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. Welcome, Bruce. Morning, Rachel. Um, you know, we're always trying to make uh, business owners more aware of things. And although people, uh, private individuals also can benefit from the education I must say, though, before we get it, we, we dive into this topic is that, um, uh, once again, there's not necessarily a bad product. It's about bad strategies. And mm-hmm. uh, index universal life or universal life or variable universal life, and I think we're going to focus on index universal life mostly today, all of them uh, can be used as a product in a proper strategy as long as people understand what they're getting into. Um, but we're going to talk about uh, the different components of it today and, and why people need to be aware of certain things. So um, we're going to try to make this uh, interesting, uh, a subject that a lot of people find to be um, controversial, but we're going to try to be as fair as possible and just give the facts. Absolutely. Well, what a great lead in. And I hope that you will um, stick with us today in this conversation. So at some point in your searching and looking for information about privatized banking, you've probably come across somebody who says, hey, you should use an IUL. Now, we get a lot of questions as we're talking with clients who are wanting to implement privatized banking in their life. And they'll often say, well, what about using an IUL? Maybe is that better than whole life? And usually this is because the illustrated values for IUL or index universal life policy are usually better than for whole life. And there's the appearance that you can't lose money. Now, whole life can look expensive comparatively, especially in those early years. However, there are some significant risks with IULs that prevent it from being compatible with privatized banking. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. So a few things that you'll note when you hear about index universal life. One thing is that there's downside protection and upside potential. So it can seem attractive. It can seem that there's lower premiums up front, but there's actually a darker side lurking inside these insurance policies. And actually, some of the dirty laundry of IULs has been coming out of the closet lately. There's actually been lots of lawsuits against the IUL product, and even the state of New York issued a warning about the dangers of indexed universal life. So we're going to talk to you about those risks and let you know what they mean and what they could mean for you and we care enough to tell you the truth about these products as well. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to answer what is IUL or indexed universal life and how does it work? And we're going to talk to you about what the illustrated values are on IULs and for whole life and what makes them up and what the difference is. And we're also going to talk about where you potentially can lose money in an IUL, even though you have that downside protection. So today's conversation is going to uncover the risks so that you can avoid the trap of unfulfilled promises and ensure that you're setting yourself up for certainty with solid ground inside your financial life. So where does this fit in the cash flow system? First, you have the foundation to be efficient and keep more of the money that you make and then protect your money and then get it working for you to create and produce more. 
So anytime we talk about life insurance, we're talking about that protection component. And often that fits within privatized banking in that middle stage two, protecting the wealth that you've built. So Bruce, let's first dive in and talk about what is an IUL? Well, an IUL is a type of universal life policy, which is a permanent uh, policy um, in which you have crediting of your cash value according to an index. And to give an idea, there are a variety of indexes and actually some security companies even uh, make up their own index. But for the listeners, the most common index that is used is the S&P 500. So let's just make this very clear right now. When you give money to, when you pay your, your premium to a life insurance company for your index universal life premium, you are not putting that money into the index. It is just the way that the insurance company is going to credit you depending upon the index. The insurance company is taking that money and doing a variety of things with that. One of, of them is actually buying options, uh, is, and that's a hedging strategy against the index. So your money's not actually in the index. It's just a crediting strategy using the index. So example, if the uh, S&P 500 from one point, which let, let's just say August 1st of one year, uh, is at 2000 and in uh, uh, the next year after 12 full, full months, uh, the index score, uh, uh, points go to 2,200, that would be a 10% gain in the index. The insurance company would then, according to their, the contract, they would either um, give you the entire 10% crediting on your cash value, or they would give you a percentage of that depending on what's called the CAPS um, uh, in the particular contract. It's contract. So if the cap, example, the cap was only 8% of that contract, they would give you up to 8%, but not the full 10%. Now, if you were um, the exact opposite and it went from 2000 to 1800, you would actually uh, look at this and say, oh, I lost 10%. But in the indexing strategy, what the what the uh, insurance company says is you can never lose any money. So your floor is zero. So your cash value would not change that year because of the indexing. Now it, it will change because of cost of insurance. It will change because of fees that are involved in, in the particular contract. But that is how a, the basic in, index universal life crediting works. So now let's, and yeah, go ahead, Rachel. Yeah, and Bruce, so what I have seen in an illustration, which we can't show on a podcast, it's a little challenging, but is that when you're looking at the index and the gains and losses in the index, you when you hear someone talk about an IUL having downside protection and upside potential, usually what that means is that there's a floor or a minimum so that you can't go negative in terms of the crediting rate, right. but you're not going to capture all of the gains if the gains were up above their cap. So it's putting some protection element in place. But the idea that you can't lose money because you can't have a negative crediting rate is a false idea because there are other costs that can cause you to go negative 
in the policy. Correct. You, you can't have a net, negative crediting rate, but your the cash value can go down because of other costs that you have associated with costs of insurance and costs of the fees involved in these. And once again, we are not against fees because fees are involved in everything you do in your life. You know, a lot of people are like, well, uh, I want to do things with no fees. Everything you do in your life has fees. You, yeah, fee is just another way to obtain uh, profit from the value you give. So if you go to the grocery store and buy a gallon of milk, there are fees on that. They're just built into the profit um, or the cost of the milk in a form of profits. That's like a fee going to the owner of the grocery store. So we're not against fees. Uh, we just want people to understand with Index Universal Life that uh, the floor is um, where you cannot lose any for the crediting, but if it's not properly funded, then the cost of the insurance and the cost of the fees involved in it can make it go down. And that is a very important thing to understand. Now, I like that you're uncovering that because I think that's the um, starting point to one of the main risks that you can lose money inside of an index universal life policy. Now, what happened, and Bruce, you can talk a little bit more about the history on this, that there there used to be just term insurance and whole life insurance. And then there was the strategy of buy term invest the difference. And the index universal life really came on the scene trying to do both at the same time, trying to say, well, here's your term life insurance, which is annually renewable term, which we know, and you probably know as a listener as well, is going to increase in cost every single year, your term insurance, and then have this investing component where your cash value grows at some interest rate or according to an index. Yeah, this was this the industry was trying to um, actually respond to the fact that people were uh, getting out of whole life and just doing this buy term and invest the difference because the stock market was was doing so well during the Reagan administration. And it's not that it's not that universal life wasn't around in the 70s, but it really became prevalent in the uh, 80s. And one of the reasons it became prevalent in the 80s is because interest rates were very, very high in the beginning of the 80s. And so people would go around and say, why don't you, you know, um, instead of doing term and invested difference, why don't you go into these interest rate driven products, these universal life products? And it made sense because it looked like, oh, look at the high interest rates of 12%. We're going to, we're going to illustrate 12%. Well, so they illustrated 12% and said, look, you're going to get so much interest off your money that you're not going to have to pay the full cost of the insurance with your premium. So you can have a really low premium. The interest uh, that you're making on your money is going to make up the difference between your premium and the actual cost of insurance. So look, it's the greatest thing in the world. You're not going to have to pay very much for your universal life. The problem with that was then you didn't fund it properly with your premiums because you were saying, oh, the rest of my premium is going to be made up by the interest that I'm getting on my cash value. But as interest rates went down, the interest that you were being credited in a regular universal life wasn't keeping up with the cost of insurance going up. And so all of a sudden, all these people that were sold this 
if they were being serviced properly by insurance people, which most of them were not, uh, all of a sudden they were getting notices that said, oh, you don't have enough money in your universal life policy, so you need to give us, and in a lot of cases, it was a large amount of money to be able to keep this thing going. Well, so then the industry got kind of a black eye as far as that goes, and they said, okay, well, interest rates are low. Let's come out with a new product called Index Universal Life. And that came out basically most prevalent in the early 2000s. And, and they were expecting that, oh, now we're going to do indexing, uh, follow an index, not individual stocks. And we're going to follow an index and we're going to put a floor on it. Oh, look, you can't lose any money and you can participate in more of the upside, but we're going to put a cap on it. And then we're going to do hedging strategies at the insurance company to actually give you the returns from the indexing that you're that we're crediting you from. And look, everybody's going to be happy because we're going to be able to illustrate this at seven and a half, eight percent over the life of your loan. But the problem with this is now is then in the 2000s, from the 2000 to 2010, a lot of people uh, call that the lost decade because the S&P 500 was basically flat over that time period. So here we had an idea that we weren't going to lose any money and we we're going to make on average seven and a half percent. But in fact, that the index strategy was basically flat over that time period. Once again, the premium does not cover the cost, the increased cost of insurance and fees. And these policies were not funded properly. So both the universal and the index universal life have had problems over their history because they are relying on an outside source, not an actuarial data, to actually provide coverage throughout the entire life of the loan or the, uh, of the policy, excuse me. And I think what's interesting about that then is there's also this built-in idea that you can have a flexible premium. And that means that you can pay more or you can pay less however you want with the IUL policy. The problem is that a flexible pol- or a flexible premium can also be changed by the insurance company and more premium may then be due or be required in order to keep the policy in force. Can, can you speak to that, Bruce? Yeah. And so this goes back to the very beginning. What I was speaking of is that what, what these policies are tr- attempting to do is get you the most death, death benefit for the least amount out of pocket because either they're going to tie it to an interest rate with universal life or an index with index universal life. So they're saying, oh, you can keep this real low. Oh, and by the way, because we built up this cash value and the cash values, you're going to get an uh, increase by the index or the uh, interest rate. If you want to skip a couple of payments, skip a couple of payments. But when you do that, you're actually having to take more out of the cash value. And if you're getting a flat growth of cash value, over a sustained period of time, then you actually, yes, your premium is flexible, but your cash value is going down more quickly. And it, and it goes down very quickly uh, when you get older because the cost of insurance is one year renewable term insurance. So the cost of insurance is going up every year. So those, those uh, ideas that, you know, you can have a flexible premium payment sound great when you're presenting it, but in all actuality, um, if the index or the interest rates don't stay high, 
it's going to be very difficult for these policies to stay in place as they were illustrated at the very beginning. And I completely agree. And so it almost sounds like, well, hey, if the market or the index that it's tied to always performed the way they expected and was always having gains only and no losses, and you always funded the premium with your illustrated premium, and you did not ever drop down or miss a premium payment, perhaps it could work out. The problem is we can't guarantee what the index is going to do. And there have been much lower returns inside that cash value than expected. Yeah. One of the things that people always say, yeah, but guys, we backtest this. And backtesting means that we've looked at the indexes historically and said, what if we put this money in the last 40 years, would it have worked? And a lot of people say, well, that's great, except we are having tremendous volatility in the stock market for a variety of reasons that we have touched upon on our show before. Um, and there is, and a lot of people think it's going to become more volatile. We're not saying the stock market isn't the place to be. We're not saying that uh, people shouldn't have a portion of their money in the stock market. We're not making any of those kind of claims. We're just saying that these are relatively new products that even back testing uh, doesn't necessarily have any kind of reassuring effect on people. And that is why some of the um, states like the uh, state of New York have actually put out um, some recommendations and warnings about how these particular products work. And Rachel, I think you hit the nail on the head. If everything it was done according to what you were uh, illustrated, yes, these things would work great. The other problem with these things is people say, well, there's guarantees, overloan, mm-hmm. overloan protection. We haven't even talked about loans yet, guaranteed death benefits. But what they don't know contractually in these, if you, if you don't uh, stay up with the contract 100%, and in some cases, it's simply, oh, you missed a premium payment, or you were late with a premium payment, or you decided to lower your premium payment, it changes all the contractual agreements within the contract. And a lot of people, either they were told that and forgot, or they weren't told that in the very beginning. So you really- It sounds like it's really not a contract in a way. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not a contract, but it's almost like, well, hey, I agree to give you this if you follow through exactly on all of these um, set of criteria. Well, then if you don't follow through on one element that breaks the whole contract and nullifies it and makes a new contract, which then it's hard to know what you're agreeing to because no humans are machines. We're not robots. We don't do things exactly, exactly as we're supposed to all the time. We all know that. And so it is not able to be honored the way that it's illustrated. Well, it's not only that. I mean, I, I can remember and I, and, and I'm not going to be able to give you the specific year or so on and so forth that, um, you know, we have in the right situation with the right education, we have sold in uh, index universal life to certain business owners that would like to have the flexibility of payments. And this is just what they wanted, even though we recommended other things. So we try to do what our clients want, even when we would do something differently, uh, as long as they understand all the, all the variables. And I remember one of these clients um, actually sent in their payment 
but the uh, post office was actually late in getting it on time. So, you, you know, uh, it's, it's not like, well, it was postmarked by this date, so you're, you're okay. It actually had to arrive and be credited at the company by this particular date. So wow. you know, there's just too many things that are out of your hands to keep the contract in force the way you actually did it on the very first day when you signed the contract. Absolutely. So let's talk about what did the state of New York do? Um, so we'll make sure that we have the link to this warning as well in the show notes, but, um, the New York department of financial services received nearly 1400 complaints in the last five years about universal life policies. And, uh, I'm going to talk about what those complaints were regarding. So a lot of times what can end up happening is somebody who has a universal life policy, maybe has paid into it whether with the illustrated premiums or maybe they've had flexible premiums and paid a little less or a little late a few times, but they've paid in over several years. Now they're looking at saying, well, the index hasn't performed the way that was illustrated. And so more of the cash value is being used to cover the cost of insurance. And the insurance companies are coming back and saying, well, we need to require higher premium in order to keep this policy in force. And so there have been cases where customers have been hit with rate increases of over 200%, meaning that their premiums are now 200% more than they had been originally. And so that means that there's people who are now in their 60s and 70s and 80s, many people who are on fixed incomes now being told that they need to find a way to pay these higher premiums if they want to keep the policy in force which means then they're faced with a choice to say, well, either I find some way to pay these exorbitantly higher premiums for the same death benefit coverage that I originally put in place that I wanted to have, or I have to drop the policy. And if you drop the policy, that means really you have paid in for all of these years and now you're getting nothing to show for it. And so I actually had a conversation with somebody who was in a really similar position and the lady I was speaking to was talking about a universal life index, universal life policy on her mother. Her mother was in a very bad um, health situation. She was caring for her mom at home and the, there was a index universal life policy on the mother who was within the last few years of her life. I mean, they didn't know exactly when, but it was definitely in those later years. And what ended up happening is they said, well, we're having to pay these higher premiums because we want to be able to have the death benefit pay back all of the healthcare costs that we've been using for this home health care and all of the medical needs in these later years that were supposed to then reimburse the lady I was speaking to, the daughter, for taking care of her mom. But now they're looking at having to pay much, much higher premiums. And that was a, a really challenging financial decision because now they're having to pinch pennies to make the premium payments so that they can hopefully still get the death benefit. And so I guess that all comes back to the New York warning. This is where these complaints were coming from owners of universal life policies. And so the department has seen many cases of consumers, this is reading directly from the warning, who had purchased universal life insurance, who made the payments for years, thinking their premium payment would not change or that their coverage would remain in effect. But many found that their policies had lapsed or were no longer in effect with little to no value due to decline in interest rates, market volatility, and other factors, or were required to pay large additional premium payments to keep their coverage in effect. And so 
New York actually came out with a warning on that. Yeah, the warning is great, and it's by a government institution. I don't want to, to leave the consumer completely off the hook here because I've, I've been doing this a long time, and I am very clear uh, with what we tell people and we tell it to them on a consistent basis. We have things in writing. Um, the consumer also has to take some responsibility oh, here. absolutely. Uh, I'm not saying that everybody, everybody that has a universal life policy – uh, that that was paying a, a minimum premium and all of a sudden they don't they need more money wasn't told that this you know your premiums could change in the future because of increased cost of insurance or fees I'm uh, many times that is told by really good insurance people then uh, either forget or they simply don't want to take responsibility and say well you never told me that. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is, is that people are told uh, a, a variety of times. I think the warning from New York was just to say, hey, you people, you have to understand before you get into one of these contracts, make sure you understand every single little detail of this. Um, not, they didn't say don't get into it, but they just said make sure you understand the detail. The other thing I think, Rachel, we could point out is that life settlement companies have been popping up to try to help this situation. Mm -hmm. So it is a real situation or life settlement companies wouldn't have popped up. So it, for our listeners, a life settlement, uh, this is a real, we'll talk about this real quickly, but let's say you do have a universal life policy that has a $500,000 death benefit, but you only have um, $50,000 of cash value in it. And you've done what's called an enforced illustration, which you can request from the company free of charge once a year. Um, and it comes back and says, well, you're going to owe us $20,000 next year because it's grossly underfunded. And then the next year you're going to owe us 22,000 and next year you're going to owe us 24,000 and people can't afford to make that particular payment. So a life settlement company will come in and say, Hey, if you sign us over this $500,000 death benefit, we will we will pay you X amount of dollars, and it could be a hundred thousand, hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and they will then make the payments because they know actuarially that they can continue to make the payments, and the and the money they give the family plus the premium payments will be less than what the death benefit will be in the future. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is those life settlement companies they don't pop up just because they think it's going to be a um, a neat idea. They've popped up to try to to solve a problem within our society, and and the problem is these universal and index life policies are not properly funded. Absolutely, and I think it's a great way to show that there are always solutions. We just want to understand what we're getting into up front to be able to make the best educated decision. And um, so, I I did want to point out one. What I do want to point out is the things that you want to look for inside of your policy to make sure that you have the type of guarantees that you can put your financial future in a position of certainty and security and have that peace of mind that you know what you're paying for is going to be there for you. And um, I also want to talk about Nelson Nash. And I know that as he talked about privatized banking, he talked about the certain types of policies that you want to have in force to make sure that you have those guarantees. Yes. Yeah, so uh, if you're doing the infinite banking concept, 
uh, based upon what we often refer to as privatized banking. Nelson um, was adamant about the fact that uh, if you're going to do this, you're going to you should deal with guarantees that come with whole life. Uh, there people have splintered off from Nelson. It was one of his biggest regrets in his life. And uh, as of this podcast, uh, he just passed away a couple months ago. But he was fighting the entire time because uh, insurance producers were out there s- selling the infinite banking content, uh, co- concept using Index Universal Life because they illustrate so much better than whole life. And so it was easier to sell. And Nelson was very disappointed in those people. And um, that's why he started his practitioner's program, because you had to you can only become a certified infinite banking concept practitioner if you had agreed to never sell index universal life with this concept because Nelson said you need guarantees going forward and these guarantees don't come with the index universal life now people always you know they say to us well no there's guarantees and in universal life over loan protection guarantees and guarantee a death benefit but once again those guarantees are only triggered if ever, you have done everything perfectly within that contract. And um, what a lot of people uh, don't realize is, you know, that yes, it's guaranteed for this death benefit if you're making the premium payment like it was scheduled to be made. Well, if the premium payment goes up, yes, you make that premium payment, the death benefit's guaranteed. But it there are so many things that can trip up within that concept. So uh, privatized banking, we espouse should be used by whole life only because we want that to be there for your entire uh, financial life, which would be your entire whole life. So here's a few things that you want to think about to make sure that you have a policy that lasts, because not only do you want the guarantees that Nelson Nash talked about for privatized banking, you If you're putting a life insurance policy in place, especially if you are calling that a permanent policy, you want the peace of mind of knowing that that policy is going to pay out for you and that you can count on what the values will be. That's going to give you the foundation to be able to borrow against that policy and be able to make infinite banking decisions in your life and be able to use your cash value and be able to count on the death benefit. So here's a few things that you want to think about in terms of what guarantees you want built into your policy. Now, the first is that you should have a guaranteed death benefit, meaning that there is a certain dollar amount that is guaranteed to be paid out when you die. Now, IULs typically are going to require either a special rider to be added onto that policy, or they might be guaranteed only to age 100. But what if you live past 100? I mean, life expectancy is longer these days, you want to be in a position where you know that if you have a permanent policy and you're calling it permanent, that it truly is permanent, meaning it's really going to be in effect for you for your entire life. Now, another thing that you want to think about is you want to be able to have guaranteed premiums. And I really like how Kim Butler of Partners for Prosperity said this, um, with the a lot of the whole life policies we put in place, You have guaranteed premiums, which means the premium is guaranteed not to go down or up, be changed from what is illustrated. However, you have flexibility in how you pay the premium. So you want to have guaranteed premiums, but flexible payments. So it's different with an IUL policy where they actually say you have flexible premiums. That means the premium itself can 
be increased or decreased. It can go up and down. And that does not lead to guarantees inside the policy. Another thing that you want to look at is when, and Bruce, I know that this is something we talk about on a regular basis, especially in client meetings, we want to have a guaranteed cash value amount. So whenever you're looking at a whole life illustration, you're going to see guaranteed policy values, a guaranteed cash value. And this is going to go into my next point as well, but it's a guaranteed dollar amount. It's not just a guaranteed percentage or a guaranteed interest rate, because here's the thing, you can have a guaranteed interest rate, say even of 8%. That sounds really great. But what if your cash value is squished down because it's been used up for paying policy um, costs, internal costs in the policy? And so you might have an 8% interest rate that's guaranteed on a really small amount of money. That doesn't really mean anything. But if you have a guaranteed dollar amount of cash value that is guaranteed in the policy contract, then you have something that you really know that you can sink your teeth into and that's going to be there for you. Yeah, and, and Rachel, that's that's a kind of a hard concept for people to understand. But and they're going to say, well, in my universal life or our index universal life, I have a guaranteed crediting of two percent or something like that, and that is by contract. But as you, what you're trying to explain to our listeners is that, well, yeah, you can have a guaranteed rate of two percent crediting, but if the cost of the insurance and the other fees are going up by more than two percent, then it really doesn't make any difference what the guaranteed rate is. What you're with a whole life insurance contract, you actually have a guaranteed cash amount side. So you can actually see that, which has already taken into account the fees within the contract because they, it's very easy actuarially to know what the fees are when they endow over a person's entire lifetime. And they can actually illustrate that for you. And thank you for bringing that up because yes, this is the one case where an IUL policy can go negative and that's when your crediting rate is lower than the fee inside the policy. So thank you for bringing that up. Then here's another piece is that your policy, in order to have guarantees and that strong foundation of certainty for you should endow. And what endowing means is that inside of a whole life policy, your policy is guaranteed that at the end of the illustrated time frame, so whether the policy is a 100-year policy, which is what kind of was in the olden days, and now they've adjusted that to 120 or 121, and I foresee that as we have longer life expectancy, it might continue to increase in terms of what that end date is for your policy. But endowing means your cash value is guaranteed to equal your death benefit at that time, meaning that if my policy endows at age 121, and it's a million dollar death benefit, my cash value is guaranteed to be a million dollars. It's going to rise and meet the death benefit amount, which the death benefit is also guaranteed and is also increasing over the life of the contract. So the death benefit and the cash value are both increasing and reach that same exact dollar figure at the age of endowment or the end of the policy. And the good news is that if you live longer than the age of endowment in your policy with whole life, your policy will pay out to you, meaning that you will get the full cash value, which equals the death benefit. So essentially the death benefit is being paid out to you while you're still living. Now, this is not something that can be guaranteed inside of an IUL policy because there's not a guaranteed cash value amount. There might be a guaranteed interest rate or a guaranteed crediting rate, but there's not a guaranteed cash value amount. And so therefore it can't endow because you can't guarantee that the cash value is going to equal your death benefit and be able to be paid out to you. Once again, very good points. 
So as we wrap this and bring it to a close, there's a lot of information we've shared here. We'll share several links in the show notes as well. The main thing to really focus on is to make sure you have all of the information on something. It's really easy to look at the wrapper or the package or the cover of something and say, hey, this looks really great. But really do your due diligence and dig down deep and really understand what is at stake and and what you're getting into when you get into life insurance. And especially if you want to have something that will be there for you, that's going to last, it's not going to have surprises or increased premiums or a death benefit that has evaporated because you could not pay the premium. So we really wanted to provide this episode to answer the question about IULs and why we don't use them for privatized banking especially if you've maybe considered whole life. And then after you're just about to put that policy in place, then somebody else tells you, hey, didn't you know IULs are cheaper and they, um, they're going to show much better growth inside the policy. So we really want you to understand what is behind that. Now, if you would like to implement privatized banking, we'll help you review your situation, any policies that you currently have in place, and really help you decide what moves are the best for you. And the way you can do that is you can book a strategy call with us at themoneyadvantage.com. And we'll have the link for that in the show notes as well. Bruce, is there anything that you wanted to share as we close? No, once again, I I know we came down hard on universal life and index universal life. And it's not, it's not that we think that this product can't be used for certain things, but I definitely do not believe it can be used for the infinite banking concept based upon my years of, of experience with Nelson Nash and and what we're trying to uh, accomplish by having guarantees. Um, so all we're saying is that you have to understand all the contractual agreements within both whole life and index universal life. And the fact of the matter is a guarantee, the biggest difference is there's no guaranteed cash growth. There may be guaranteed crediting um, of the interest, but there's not guaranteed of cash uh, growth. So that's the biggest difference that I see between the two strategies. Bruce, thanks for being here on the show and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom about this concept and really how to help somebody really make great decisions so that they can implement privatized banking. And even if they are just wanting life insurance, really have the guarantees that they are looking for when they put that policy in place. So as we wrap up today, remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated 
nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated, and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.